It's episode 72, Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast for Monday, the 9th of October. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, it's insights from members of the Annex Wealth Management Investment Committee. Joining us today, Blaine Disrube, welcome. Hi, thank you. And Dr. Todd Voigt, welcome to you. Thanks. I'll kick it off with upcoming economic data like we usually do. The big economic pieces this week are PPI and FOMC, Federal Open Market Committee minutes on Wednesday. Thursday, we got a big day with CPI and real average earnings. And Friday, University of Michigan sentiment and inflation expectation readings. Why don't we get started? You know, on you the got- CPI number, not, I don't mean to interrupt you, but the numbers are expected to continue to fall, right? Like we're, we're seeing that gradual decline in inflation and it's going to play into our strengths here. But right. just as like a reference point, the expectations is a 0.3 increase month over month. You look at what we had last year and at the same time it was a 0.55. So if you annualize those, we're going down to about a 3.6 right. versus what last year we were hovering around six, six and a half at that point. So, I mean, we've seen this gradual descent in, in inflation and playing that then into what we're seeing in our strengths. And we can dive into that here. I mean, right. we've had the dollar kind of rally here going into from July till about now, going from about 100 when we're looking at the the dollar index to 106. And that's actually helped with inflation to a degree because we are a massive importing country. You've researched that in the past. Yeah. And there's usually, I always say there's three factors that influence exchange rates, real interest rates, inflation, and GDP growth. And on the real interest rate side, you alluded to it, they've been going up. That's attractive for dollar strength. And then you had inflation declining, that's dollar strength. The reverse of that, dollar weakness is inflationary. As you mentioned, we have a high propensity to consume imports. But right now it's a strength when you look at it that way that we've got dollar strengths that's keeping inflation low. We've got earnings estimates that are continuing to be forecasted to be up 12 percent for 23 and 24. And so I think that's over optimistic. We'll talk about that later. And what's interesting about that is so you've had dollar strength you still had estimates coming in strong. And so if we do see a dollar weakness at some point, let's just say the strength legs into a weakness at some point, it gets overtraded, what have you, gets extended, that's going to be a further tailwind for U.S. earnings estimates right. going forward potentially. Yeah, great point. And drill down into that a little bit is what's the connection between earnings and a strong dollar? Well, if you have many multinationals that derive their revenues overseas, and those revenues are denominated in foreign currency that are going down while dollars getting stronger, then foreign revenue, if you got half your revenue coming from overseas, is coming in weaker. Why would earnings estimates be going up is the confusing issue that you're making there. That's a great point. Another, st- can I move on to more strengths? Yeah, okay. Uh, relative strength in energy course. We've seen that in the price of oil, it's dropped off, but the trend is higher. We got an Atlanta Fed GDP expectation for the third quarter at 4.9%. Those usually start out high. The first real look at third quarter GDP will be October 31st, thereabouts. It's usually the last one or two days of the quarter. The month following quarter end is when you get that first look at GDP for the previous quarter. That may trend down a little bit labor market what do you see there Blaine yeah Friday was quite the blowout number we had estimates coming in at 170,000 jobs added the actual amount that was recorded was 336,000 we'll see if that gets revised down historically speaking over the last several months we have seen that number get revised lower however just the number itself was very large and the market reacted in the morning to that we had 
rates jump, real yields spike to a degree, and the equity market had sold off. And then towards later in the day, as people started to digest that information and kind of look under the hood, we were witnessing wage pressure wasn't what I think some were expecting. It came in slightly softer. When I say that 4.2% was the wage growth that we got, and when you kind of factor that into where inflation sits and relating that to what wage growth has been and where wage growth has been going, it gets you closer to what the Fed's target is of that 2%. So I think the market digested that and took it as, okay, we are getting inflation somewhat under control. Fed is in their bit of a Goldilocks situation at the moment where we soft landing has become the new norm of forecasts and the market kind of rallied off of that into the afternoon of Friday. Right. Staying sort of with that, and it's going to segue into weaknesses, is that idea of inflation being low. And you're going to ask the average person on the street, it's not low at all. It's gasoline prices. And just wait until December, you get your property tax bill, not to mention food and gas and everything else. You're going to say, well, yeah, where are they coming from? But the, in aggregate, the headline CPI is down. That ties into consumer spending and so forth. And as we roll, can we roll into weaknesses? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So weaknesses, I'll talk more about the market a little bit here and utilities have not held up because of real rates rising, cost of capitals rising, still great dividends. But here's the part of the reason why utilities haven't been doing too well is you got the indices and the ETFs like XLU that hold next era that's down 30%, which is 12% of these indices. And that's what's making the utilities look really weak. Sure, the rest of the group's been down but they're down for the higher cost of capital reasons. That's a weakness. Banks have been weak. They've not fared very well with this inverted yield curve and higher real rates coming off the little banking crisis we had in March. The other thing I think is considered a weakness, even though it looks in part like a strength, is real rates are going up. I sense real rates are not going up because we got strong economic growth. Real rates are going up because they think you got trouble in the treasury markets and debt and deficits. And we've talked about that as an investment team. But half the rate hikes we've seen, which have been rather abrupt, are getting back to normal. The other half is real tightening that has leg effects. And the Fed says, well, the leg effects we find are rather short. They can be long. I still think they have yet to bite. And I would consider those probably uh, in the weakness category. Another weakness is you keep hearing about soft landing, hard landing. Recessions are inevitable. So you know you're going to have one. It's just a matter of when, not if. And then we can debate all day about whether it's soft or hard and it's two consecutive quarters or, or whatever. The last weakness I'd throw in there is that earnings trend has been weak since last year. We've had negative earnings growth in aggregate for the, the market. We had a nice pop in earnings this last quarter, this last earnings season. So we got about an 8% pop across the board for earnings after three successive down quarters in earnings. But that's not unusual. So there's this potential double dip in earnings growth. And you know how many times that's probably happened? I, I lost count after about 12, but it happens pretty often over the last 50, 60 years that you'd have this sort of double dip in earnings. And that with those rate hikes beginning to bite, that it still might have a fourth quarter, first quarter negative earnings growth. 
when we talk about earnings estimates being strong and 12%, that that's the whole year earnings estimates. Yeah, and you've seen consumer spending. I mean, it was strong early months of the summer, but going into the end of the summer, people really were starting to tighten their belt. So to your point about a potential earnings, second earnings dip, um, some of that is starting to play out or could be potentially starting here. This, as far as opportunities go, we talked about real rates getting to the level that they're at. And when we hear real rates, real rates is what are you earning above and beyond what the inflation expectations are on a treasury, in essence. So when we look at a 10-year, you're getting... 4.75. We'll just put that number out there as a approximate. Right. Inflation expectations right now for ten, the next 10 years is about 2.5, we'll just say. 2.3, 2.5. Right. It, it's floating in that range. So the difference between what you're getting at 4.75 versus the 2.5 is really what your real rate is. Right. And we haven't seen real rates at this level since pre-financial crisis. So you are, in essence, being compensated to actually hold bonds at this point or hold treasuries in a real term, where if you bought a bond in 2015 or over the last decade plus, you in essence were having that money inflated away by the time you got to maturity and you weren't necessarily getting a massively positive real return. Uh, Historically speaking, real rates hover, and Todd, we've looked at this together, have hovered anywhere from 1.8 to almost 3%. It's kind of in that right. range. So we're in the in the norm of what you would expect for real rates. And as a country, having that level, people are actually now being compensated to the, issue. Right, you're actually making that. money. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about that is an opportunity, as you're saying, well, now we got, when everybody looks at nominal yields and nominal minus inflation is real is another way to look at it. And they're starting to look over and saying, hey, if the market's down, stocks are down, I'm getting 5%, five and a quarter, whatever off of money markets, I can just pivot over there. So there's real competition for stocks with those higher real yields. On top of that, we're getting to the point where the Fed has started to signal that they might be getting towards the end of their hiking cycle. Quantitative tightening is still happening in the background, and I have concerns around that. We've talked about that as a team a few times, but they're in essence starting to jawbone. We're getting close to hiking rates, or we might hike rates depending on how Powell messages that and being hawkish, but they might not actually hike those rates coming up in the next month and in the November meeting. Watching that is starting to become a potential indicator of getting to that peak rate environment. You know, it's funny you mentioned jawboning. Brian and I were in a PhD monetary theory class together, and at that time, signaling was the real thing. And what they're doing is signaling they're going to raise rates. But you know what's funny about this time is that they're overplaying their hand, and everybody knows it's probably BS, you know? Yeah, if I at can this say point. You, do you need to bleep that out? No? Yeah, that's what it is. I'm, I'm listening to this all the time. It's like, okay, we know you're not likely. There's a 50-50 chance in December you're going to raise rates, and it's probably not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So you can jawbone all you want type of thing. It, it, I kind of find it humorous, as you could tell. So all the while, we're getting near this peak rates. CNN puts out the Fear Greed Index, and that's near the low that we've seen over the whole last year. I mean, the last time it got down to the level that it's at, which is 16 right now, and it's 0 to 100 is what the Fear and Greed Index is based off of, is fall of last year, 2022. Not that it times the market perfectly and so forth. And that's not what we're trying to say, but it's saying that the market looks as though it's kind of blown off some steam and might be oversold to a degree. From our metrics, market valuations aren't extreme, but they're not 
on either end. They're not extremely overvalued or extremely undervalued, but it, it might be an opportunity just from a sentiment standpoint that the market might be slightly oversold at this point. Yeah, great, great point. The other thing is I subscribe to Stock Traders Almanac since I was in college, and I use it as a calendar and a notebook and so forth. But it's really a statistical almanac, and you take it for what it's worth. But they said that October is a bear killer. It's usually the end of a bad market. And so you got that going for you. The other point, uh, if I bullet point these opportunities, is China or emerging markets, not ex-China. Now, we've talked about China in the past, and I would say this, I think it's important that when you have quality in a bubble, and a bubble bursts, whether it's Japanese stocks in 89 or U.S. stocks in 99 or 29 uh, or real estate in 2007, when you have bubbles burst, quality can drop, rule of thumb, 50%. The speculative stuff drops 80% if it doesn't go out of business. The big blue chips of China, the China index, are off 54% from their high. It is the second largest economy in the world. These are not fly-by-night, emerging, typically emerging market-type companies that are in that. That's an opportunity to say, well, I might not buy Alibaba, the individual company stock, I might buy a pooled account or at least have an emerging market that is paying attention to the opportunity in Chinese equities as that situation stabilizes. And I don't want to go through a bunch of sub bullet points that say, this is why China. China as a whole, there's issues, but there's sub components of that that have been sold off just because it has China. Oh, for sure. It. And you know, and the, 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 I always say the stock market, the bond market, the barometers of barometers of what's going on underneath, whether good or bad through time, uh, they're barometers. So you'll see things reflected in the market, issues geopolitically or economically reflected in the market right away. So we can think of a whole bunch of bad stuff going on there and how what bad shape they're in. It clearly, when you look at an index of quality companies that's down that much, and they weren't really coming off that much of a bubble, that does present an opportunity, And you, but you venture into it in a pooled account of sorts, like a fund or an ETF to take advantage of it. What do you have for threats? Anything? So you kind of teased it earlier, but earnings coming in less than expected in the third quarter or even the fourth quarter and getting that double dip in earnings recession, if you will. Right. So that's one that we do have as a threat. And analysts may be over their skis and their estimates. Yep. Another one is these higher rates are going to bite at some point. What's interesting and somewhat ironic, and we were talking about this, is the biggest issuer of debt lately has been the U.S. government. All the while, the Fed has been trying to tighten policy to slow down the economy. The government, in essence, is the one that's issuing the most debt, taking on the biggest burden of the this higher rate environment that we're in. So they're almost like shooting themselves in a foot to a degree by increasing their own interest costs by issuing the debt they have. But right. it's, in essence, still going to flow through, not the treasuries per se, but just that higher rate environment impacting corporations and households and so forth. You're seeing that in the high yield market spreads did start to open up last week. And companies who have been waiting to issue debt because of the higher rate environment, thinking that rates will come down eventually, are starting to get to a point where they have to issue debt just to continue to do business or to bring on a new project, et cetera, instead of just continuing to delay them. Right. And you've pointed out ways to figure, discern the differences in those companies in the fixed mm-hmm. income space. And the higher for longer, despite the need uh, to cut, if the economy slows down, the Fed's not going to 
backtrack on all this jawboning if the, the economic data turns soft they're going to hold out longer higher for longer despite the economy so they made clear what their priority is at this point yeah Powell kind of painted himself in the corner on that one by saying he doesn't want to have what happened back in the early 80s late and, 70s of right. cutting rates too soon so now he's almost committed himself to having to keep rates at the levels or at those restrictive levels, even if we do start to see a slowdown. Right. And then last is the Treasury bubble burst. I mentioned that before. Credit crisis of some sort as a result of these rate increases and a Treasury downgrade. You know, Fitch downgraded Treasuries last July. You know, we got the two, two other big players, Moody's and S&P, and Moody's might yeah, they put their grade. shot across yep. the bow when we were coming up against the potential shutdown. And you're setting up November to be another period where we might go through this whole rigmarole again with a potential shutdown if we don't have a House speaker that's going to work with both parties, essentially, at this point. Yeah, and wrap this threats up, the kind of also circle back on the opportunities and so forth. But if we had a Venn diagram of bond types treasuries, mortgage-backed securities, and so forth, and, and you and I have talked about that before, a pie chart of bond types and a pie chart of ratings, and you combine them, and looking out the next five years, you'd say that cross-section would be investment-grade corporates and tips, as opposed to maybe straight treasuries and, and other things that you would more lightly weight in a portfolio. But Maybe the sweet spot going forward is to be in the investment grade. You know, I put it simply, you know, versus a straight treasury, maybe I'd rather own a, a Costco or an Amazon or an Apple corporate bond. Now, granted, governments have the power to tax, which they will use it because of debt and deficit issues, but companies are run very efficiently in the use of cash and so forth. That might be where we're heading in fixed income, wouldn't you think? Or, yeah, yeah I, I mean, you already, I already know what you, you, you do think that. Because from a corporate standpoint, the executives are compensated to run the company well. Government's not structured that way. So, I mean, right there, your incentives are dislocated, right. which would could lead to, I mean, we're at a point where corporates, the spread that you're getting on top of a treasury is compensating you more than enough versus just taking a straight treasury. Right. And some people might be confused about that, but that's because of the risk perceived in treasuries is a little higher, so the yield's higher. Mm -hmm. And corporates might be just a little higher, but you, you might feel more comfortable over there. So let's review the headlines from you all. We'll start with strengths. Dollar's been a bit of a wrecking ball. And weaknesses? Well, bond market volatility, vigilantes, uh, or mob behavior. Opportunities? Growth in equities and potential for more duration. And threats. Investor and consumer sentiment tanks. We had a lot to say this week. Make sure you listen to it closely and join us next week. There's plenty more insights coming with Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast. We'll see you next week. Annex Wealth Management LLC is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. The opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect on the those of Annex Wealth Management, LLC. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice, or a recommendation or a solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from
qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risk. Neither Annex Wealth Management LLC nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.